But now when I get up in front of an audience, I can clearly state we have 25 years of research talking about diet, sugar-sweetened beverages, ultra-processed foods, affecting brain function, and the effects are both attention problems, depression, anxiety, even memory and dementia. So we know clearly diet affects behavior. Welcome to the Soaring Child podcast, where parents of children with ADHD learn tips and tricks to help their child soar at home, at school, and in life. We feature interviews with experts, medical professionals, and parents just like you who are learning how to reduce ADHD symptoms using food and other natural strategies because children with ADHD deserve to soar just like every other child. I'm your host, Dana Kay. Hello, parents. This is Dana Kay here with another edition of the Soaring Child podcast. Now, today is truly special for me personally, as I have the honor of interviewing a man who has been both an inspiration and a mentor in my own work with families of kids with ADHD, Dr. James Greenplatt. He is a groundbreaking medical expert and the best-selling author of Finally Focused. And I know a lot of my listeners have read that book themselves, and he's here today to share his invaluable wisdom on natural approaches to psychiatry. But obviously today we'll be focusing on ADHD. His work has been a beacon guiding not only professionals like myself, but also countless families towards a more sustainable and empowered way of life. He was inducted into the Orthomolecular Hall of Fame in 2017 by the International Society of Orthomolecular Medicine. He is also the founder of Psyche. It's always, you know, psychiatry. What do, what do, what do you say as a, as a psychiatry? Isn't that right? Oh, my gosh. It's a tongue tie, isn't it? Psychiatry re- redefined is it's an educational platform dedicated to the transformation of psychiatry, which offers online courses, webinars, and fellowships, which I was part of, for professionals. Now, I want everyone to prepare themselves for an eye-opening conversation that really promises to redefine your perspective on ADHD management for your child. So now it's time to welcome Dr. James Greenblatt to the Soaring Child. Hi, Dr. Greenblatt. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Dan, it's great to see you and it's good to be with you and your uh, audience. Well, thank you. I'm really, really grateful for you for you today, for you being here. I just want to, you know, I want to dive right in because I don't want to waste any time getting to the nitty gritty. Now I'm going to ask a little bit of a, controversial question here to start. Um, You know, there are a lot of people out there that argue that ADHD is overdiagnosed and that medication is overly prescribed. And I'm really curious what your take is on this. Well, I'm going to give you one of these non-answers because in in some communities and for some individuals, I do think it's overdiagnosed and other problems are being missed. But it's also being underdiagnosed, uh, particularly mm-hmm. in women, in my experience. Yes. Um, it, I think it's underdiagnosed in both adolescents and adults. So I've been kind of immersed in this world for 30 years, and I repeatedly see an overdiagnosis, anyone that can't pays attention, um, and there could be other causes for inattention, and underdiagnosed in other circles. 
Yeah, no, you're you're right there. And I think that was a great answer because women generally do tend to go um, underdiagnosed. And so uh, uh, more and more are now getting diagnosed. But, you know, back in the day, a lot of a lot of women my age are, are now just getting diagnosed because it was missed because of those sort of quiet symptoms. So I appreciate your your answer to that to open up that that different discussion. What what are some of the, the limitations of medication management for ADHD? HD. Well, I mean, the most powerful limitation, it's just a symptomatic band-aid. It doesn't do anything to the underlying um, symptoms. And when someone takes the medication, there might be an improvement. Soon as the medicine wears off and these are short-acting medicines, the symptoms come back. And so that's the most concerning. And then for many kids and adults, it's side effects. Yeah. The medications that are used are amphetamines, and there are a kind of wide a list of potential side effects. Yeah, no, you're you're 100% right there. And that's exactly, you know, what happened with my son uh, many years ago. And uh, he was, he ended up being on three strong medications and the doctor wanted to put him on the fourth. And so totally, uh, totally can understand all of the side effects that come with it. But I'm curious, uh, Dr. Greenblatt, what actually got you interested in the sort of more natural approach? Well, I went to medical school very focused on, you know, diet curing all of the ills of mankind. And then, you know, I came out nine years later, a child psychiatrist, um, writing prescriptions. Yeah. Um, and it only took me a year in private practice where most of what I was seeing at that time was ADHD um, to realize the limitations of medications. So I got back to kind of the roots, the reason I went into medical school and started looking and researching and Kind of accumulating the research that was done on nutritional and more natural approaches to ADHD. That's interesting, actually, that you started out going into medical school with diet as a view that that is is a is a treatment. What what put that in your mind right from word go? It was just you know a book I picked up here or a course I took here in college. It was just a, always an interest of mine. And I did papers on college on nutrition and mental illness. Oh, that's so, amazing. So you are truly a pioneer. You're truly a pioneer because back in the day that probably, you know, it's much more mainstream now, but back in the day it probably wasn't at all. No, it certainly wasn't uh, clinically integrated into a medical practice. It was research. I mean, we can go back hundreds of years looking at mm -hmm. nutritional deficiencies affecting health and particularly brain health but it was not a very significant uh, clinical practice of medicine that really was geared towards nutritional interventions. Yeah, definitely. Um, so look, here is some food for thought, literally. Um, why don't you spill the beans on how diet and nutrition play pivotal roles in really curbing ADHD symptoms in children? Sure. When I first started talking about this in, um, uh, 19, I remember 1990s, 93 I gave this presentation and I just remember vividly talking about sugar and, and how it affects behavior, but I had to say there was no research to support it, even though everybody in the room, um, you know, might have had an uh, association with their children, but the few research didn't support it. But now when I get up in front of an audience, I can clearly state we have 25 years of research talking about diet, sugar-sweetened beverages, 
ultra-processed foods affecting brain function, and the effects are both attention problems, depression, anxiety, even memory and dementia. So we know clearly diet affects behavior. I think of ADHD as a kind of genetic neurobiological illness, and these dietary patterns that many um, that are nutrient deficient will exacerbate the symptoms. A hundred percent. And so, um, uh, you know, sugar, uh, the amount of sugar that we consume in our diets these days is just, I don't think we can even, we can even count. I think I read a study uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. It said something like the average American is consuming 150 to 180 uh, pounds of sugar a year. And you just think about that and just, I mean, if that affects us as adults, what it's doing to our child's body, what it's doing to their child's brain. I think, uh, you know, I, I always think to myself, how did we get so far away from where we started? How, why, why is this all started? You know, everything's got sugar in it these days. Uh, and coming from Australia, it's really interesting because Yes, we have a lot of packaged foods in Australia, but things like bread and um, doesn't have sugar in it. But here, when we when I moved to the US um, and I picked up a, a loaf of bread, it's got sugar in it. And so I'm just, you know, just interested in your thought. How do you think we just move so far away from like natural, whole, healthy foods? You know, I think it's uh, usually driven by by money and and profit. And I think the food industry, you know, needs to sell more products and sugar sells. There are products, um, the exact same uh, product, usually a processed food that might have 10 or 20 ingredients, you know, in the UK and the United States, it might have 40 ingredients mm -hmm. because there are some additives that aren't allowed in Europe, but here in the States, you can put it. So I think it's, um, it's the food industry selling products and, um, it um, results in uh, health problems from diabetes to, in my world, mental health challenges for a number of individuals. Not everyone, and that's the hard part that people don't understand. There are going to be kids that can eat the sugar and not have behavior problems. There are other kids that are going to be it's hard to regulate their blood sugar, and the nutrient deficiencies related to eating too much sugar will result in significant behavioral or emotional problems. Definitely. So we've talked about sugar. We know that, you know, that is a big component for most children, I would say. Uh, what are some of the other, you know, nutritional changes that you sort of advocate for, for children with ADHD? Well, I mean, related to sugar is the B vitamins mm -hmm. because, I mean, sugar um, is being given to our kids without nutrients to process it. So to metabolize the sugar in the body, for the body to utilize it, it's going to need B vitamins. So it's going to take them. Um, and so B vitamin deficiencies are common. You know, we say B is for a better brain, and there are just many, many reactions that require these B vitamins. So that's a, a common nutritional deficiency. And what are your what are your thoughts on artificial flavors and artificial colors? You know, again, when, when I started, there was a, the fine gold movement and mm -hmm. people tried to say that affects everyone with ADHD, eliminate these and you'll cure your child. Well, this uh, there was actually enough research done 
to demonstrate, no, it's not every child with ADHD, but there is a percentage of kids that have this genetic variant where yes, the food additives and the dyes and these colors affect behavior, sometimes dramatically. <clears throat> so what we can say is your child might be sensitive and certainly these young children, it is worth the effort of taking three months to see and eliminate all these uh, food additives and dyes and colors as best you can. And you might notice a significant improvement in behavior. Yeah, with working with the the number of kids that I have um, and their families in reducing ADHD symptoms, there's there's some that I have seen that even just the smallest ounce of any artificial dye sends them into a complete tailspin and um, they're like a different child. And so I definitely presume those are the type of kids that have that underlying genetics. But at the end of the day, when we're looking at artificial flavors and colors, like most of them are derived from things like petroleum and can have upwards of a hundred different ingredients in artificial flavors. And, you know, the, the food industry can just slap that on the label and we don't even know what we're, what we're eating. So, you know, doing a trial for three months, not only, you know, will tell you whether or not your kid is really affected by that, but also it's probably better for health at the end of the day. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. And it's, look, it is hard, um, especially with the amount of sugar and candy. Now, before we, um, uh, well, I, I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into nutritional deficiencies. You've talked about some of those B uh, vitamin deficiencies. What other sort of specific nutritional deficiencies do you find common with kids with ADHD? Uh, probably the most common deficiency, both in children and adults, is the uh, trace mineral magnesium. Mm -hmm. So there is some research um, in international journals and my clinical experience is, I would say 99%, so we'll just call it 100% of those individuals that I've seen with ADHD are magnesium deficient and benefit from the trace mineral magnesium. Definitely, because it, you know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, it's, isn't it used for like over 300 biochemical processes in the body? Yeah, I mean, it's common, it's used in the brain, it's used throughout the body, and it's deficient in our diets. Even if you eat a whole food diet, it's deficient in our soil and stress. And many of our kids and adults with ADHD, like all of us, struggle with um, coping with that stress. And stress causes a depletion of magnesium. Mm -hmm. So there are many factors um, that you know result in a magnesium deficiency. And it's one of the simplest interventions that I think parents can uh, do and learn about and help their children. Definitely. I'm curious um, what your thoughts are on just year-round supplementation of magnesium. I mean, are you one to sort of say, oh, uh, do three months on, three months off, or, you know, because there is such a deficiency, not only in our children with ADHD, but probably for most of the population of the U.S., um, what what's your approach in, you know, maintaining that sort of magnesium on an ongoing basis? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the root of uh, my practice and the books is all about testing and a, yep. and a personalized approach. But I, I think there are a few nutrients that we could give our kids without testing. And that would probably be the B complex I mentioned, magnesium and essential fatty acids. Mm -hmm. So magnesium could be instituted by, by parents 
there are symptoms of magnesium deficiency, like poor sleep, mm-hmm. irritability, constipation, anxiety. So if anyone has any of those symptoms, then magnesium supplementation would help. And I have no problem using, um, you know, long-term magnesium therapy, because I think most people will benefit from it. Yeah, definitely. And so if we sort of go to the supplements, um, you know, the supplement aisle can be really, really overwhelming for parents. Uh, Do you advocate for children to take nutritional supplements? Um, And so you've talked about a couple that you think are a no-brainer being magnesium, omega-3 fatty acids and B complex, um, uh, you know, what's, what's your take on, on children uh, taking other nutritional supplements? You know, in addition to those, I think it should be based on some assessment, you yes. know, some testing, because we find many kids who are uh, deficient in zinc, mm-hmm. um, but we want to understand that before we supplement a child. We have many other deficiencies, as B12, vitamin D, and other problems, as you know, related to gut health. So ideally, uh, testing, so we can really understand what's going on, and then personalize a treatment approach based on those tests. Yeah, definitely. Um, Test, don't guess, is (laughs) is what I say. Um, So curious, what are your favorite tests for kids with ADHD? I mean, I know the answer, but I want want to share. (laughs) I want to share it with our listeners today. Sure. I mean, I think there's a a long list, but I I think there are a few that are really important. One is um, a a trace mineral hair test where we can look at uh, elevations of copper and low zinc. Another test is called organic acid, which helps us look at kind of gut health problems. And uh, another test would be what's called a cryptopyrrole test. It looks at, at a genetic disorder of um, uh, resulting in B6 and zinc deficiency. So those are some of the core tests. And depending on the severity of symptoms, there are other tests we'd want to do. We're always looking at iron deficiency, B12, and, and vitamin D is just too common, particularly in our you know darker skin patients where it's harder to absorb vitamin D from the sun. Yeah, definitely. Um, And for those that live in places like Seattle, where it rains a lot, just like myself. (laughs) So I definitely uh, take vitamin D supplementation year round. The other other thing is there, which I know that you know all about, which we'll dive into in a second, but uh, there are a couple of genetics that will predispose you to uh, vitamin D deficiency because of the way that you actually process the vitamin D and convert it to its activated source and then transport that vitamin D to the cell and the way, and then why, the way that it is absorbed into the cell. And so uh, when you have someone that is compromised in that area, it's even more so that they'll be deficient. Um, so taking a regular supplementation, uh, curious on your thoughts on what the ideal range of vitamin D um, based on a lab test that you like to see. Yeah, everyone's got a different number. I mean, yeah. I think that, you know, we try to get the numbers above 40, so yes. 40 to 60 yes. are the ranges that we've kind of settled yeah. on. There are people advocating for much higher doses for, you know, autoimmune disorders, but mm-hmm. I, I think for ADHD and kids or adults, anything above 40 uh, means that uh, both calcium is being absorbed and um, the rest of the uh, the dramatic uh, functions of vitamin D on every cell in the body 
can usually be um, uh, moderated uh, sufficiently. Yeah, definitely. That's that's usually where I like to land as well. Now, I talked a little bit about genetics. You know, how does how does genetics sort of come into play uh, when when you're devising a personalized treatment plan for ADHD? You know, again, it's part of that list of more tests if, if mm-hmm. people can do it, because there are a few markers that help us understand one. You know, how someone might metabolize medications mm-hmm. if someone's using medicine. Two a vulnerability to nutritional deficiencies, like some of the B vitamins, as well as uh, what you described, um, how vitamin D uh, is uh, more optimized. So nutritional um, deficiencies related to genetic testing is not uncommon, and it really just enhances the treatment. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, what 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 are your thoughts around methylation? Well, I think methylation is a critical chemical reaction, and some people have different responses to that process. So there are certain genes that we can look at, like the MTHFR gene that can help us determine the needs for um, one of the prime methylators, folate in the body. So it has a really important role. I think sometimes the uh, internet, uh, you know, overhypes words like methylation and inflammation, but you know, with a quali- qualified a clinician who can help you understand it and see if it's a problem, it should be addressed. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, look, I, I think that MTHFR genetic mutation is like the poster child of the methylation cycle, just because it is it is sort of, you know. S- yelled from the 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 rooftops um especially when it comes to sort of autism and things like that but there are a number of other underlying genes that will affect methylation uh that generally get missed and don't get talked about and i think that that is really critical to look at because just because you've got a part mutation in one of the mthfr genes that's not even the stronger one doesn't mean that your overall methylation cycle is going to be compromised. So really working with someone that uh, understands that is super critical uh, to, uh, you know, a a proper plan. Um, Now, in terms of detoxification, I I don't think, um, you know, I've heard you talk a lot about it. Maybe it's just the stuff that I've been listening to. Um, But I'd love to know your thoughts around, you know, helping our kids detox um, you know, optimizing their liver and their kidneys because, you know, we are exposed to so many toxins in this world that's contributing to inflammation, buzzword. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm curious on on your approach around that. Yeah, I think, our, you know, our approach, because people end up getting to a child psychiatrist when there's pretty significant symptoms. So what we're trying to help parents do is look for the underlying cause that might be blocking up uh, those pathways. So we'll look for heavy metals like mercury and lead. Mm-hmm. We'll look for copper. We'll look for, you know, products of, of uh, dysbiosis like yeast and clostridia, you know, which will affect the detoxification pathways. So that that would be kind of our approach, seeing very symptomatic patients that need relief. Yeah, look, um, you you mentioned clostridia, and it's it's really I do see it probably in about fifty percent of the kids that I work with. Uh, you know, for for the listeners, can you just explain a little bit about clostridia and what it what it sort of does and how that's so common in kids with ADHD and mental health disorders? Sure, I mean we have you know pounds of bacteria in our gut that um, 
uh, symbiotically uh, live a happy life and help us and we help them. And uh, Clostridia is one strain and there are one type and there might be a hundred different strains of Clostridia. Some are dangerous and produce significant um, medical complications. But there are some strains that produce chemicals that you know can affect brain function in humans. And we can't detect the particular bacteria as easily as we can detect the metabolites. Mm -hmm. So it's a urine test where we look at a metabolite of Clostridia in the gut. And if it's positive, we've just seen for 25 years, it has significant effects on brain function. And these are typically the irritable, anxious, angry kids or adults. And if we treat it, sometimes with just probiotics, occasionally antibiotics, then there's pre pretty significant resolution of symptoms. Yeah, definitely. I, I I actually like sort of do a little happy dance every time I see it, especially when you've got a kid who has those that really emotional dysregulation um, because you know that like just bringing in some, you know, Saccharomyces boulardii type of uh, um, uh, probiotics can really, really help that child and, you know, in turn help that whole family. Um, look, Dr. Dr. Greenblack, I love everything that you talk about. Um, I love your approach. Uh, I am 100% into it all, but I'm I'm wondering how you respond to critics who say natural methods are nothing more than pseudoscience. You know, in, in the old days, I didn't have a lot other than I just knew in my heart kids got better. Yeah. But at this point, we have research to support everything that you and I and many others have been trying to say to parents and families. So. And, and oftentimes I have more research than we have on some of the pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty easy to be able to talk to colleagues or other professionals to just say, wait a minute, here's the science. And I think that's been the exciting part of the past five years of continuing this work and hopefully just more research will support um, more clinicians utilizing a more natural approach to ADHD and other psychiatric illnesses. Yeah, it is. It's very much a battle of the a battle of the scientific studies. And you know, I read a statistic the other day that said that pharmaceutical uh, uh, pharmaceutical industry um, spends five times more on marketing than they do on research. And I was blown away by that because, you know, they're marketing these drugs that can have sometimes toxic effect to people. Look, I'm not against medication. There's definitely a time and place for it. Um, but some of these tactics that these companies are using, but also they're the ones that are funding a lot of the studies. Um, you know, there's not much profit in getting people well, is there at the end of the day? Um, and I know that you probably can't talk about it and engage in a, in a conversation like this, but... No, we, we do it all the time. It's quite clear. You go to a psychiatry conference, it's supported and funded by the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. And as you said, the research is as well. So it is a kind of a catch-22. And uh, But, you know, I think patients are demanding different care. Mm -hmm. Clinicians are interested in it. So I, I've been optimistic that the tide has shifted and more and more clinicians are looking for the education to be able to help patients. 
Definitely. And, you know, the more that we can spread that word and show uh, families and people and doctors out there that, you know, this helps. I mean, my son is the perfect example of that. He was diagnosed when he was four. He was on three meds by the time he was five. The doctor wanted him on the fourth med. Um, He's now 14. He hasn't been on meds for years. He is thriving. He's a straight A student, but that doesn't matter to me. The most important thing is he's happy. And that is a perfect case study to say that, you know, natural methods work. And I've worked now with over a thousand other families and, you know, they all see results. So it's not just pseudoscience. And I can just show you by the case studies that it's not. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have the same type of funds that the pharmaceutical company has to be able to actually fund any proper studies on it. Um, Well, Dr. Greenblatt, this has been an absolute pleasure having you here today. One of my career highlights, honestly. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge. Just before we finish up, you know, if you could say to families out there that are really struggling with kids with ADHD, what's something that they can do today to really start this journey? Um, Maybe the most important thing is to listen to your child. So our kids with ADHD know what is helpful and, and they'll tell you and listening to your children and then you know, kind of understanding that there is a very clear path towards a a more natural approach. And it doesn't mean medications are the enemy. Um, It just means that look and and try to find someone who can help you with the testing, because with that testing, you'll be able to determine a path to provide that kind of um, relief for your child who is and might be struggling. Well said. Um, uh, you know, as I like to say, is symptoms are a warning sign from the body that something else is is going on. And, you know, it's our job as parents to, to look deep into seeing what is driving those symptoms. So our kids are definitely the biggest um, picture into what is going on inside their body. Uh, well, Dr. Greenblack, thank you once again. Can you please tell listeners where they can find and follow you online? Sure. The uh, jamesgreenblattmd.com is where we have our website and books. And for any of the courses is uh, psychiatryredefined.org. Fabulous. Thank you once again for joining me. Listeners, thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Soaring Child. I'm Dana Kay, your ADHD health practitioner. Keep on thriving. Thank you for listening to the Soaring Child podcast today. To learn more about how to help your child with ADHD soar using natural strategies, visit our website at adhdthriveinstitute.com and follow us on social media at ADHD Thrive Institute.